Good morning, and a really warm welcome to you all to this service of worship at Ladywell Baptist Church this morning. This is Sunday, the beginning of a new week. I hope you've had a good week uh, and the, the week gone by, and we're preparing ourselves for this new week to come as we uh, focus ourselves upon God and upon worshipping Him, not just in this time, but in everything we do over the coming seven days. And we begin all of that here in this time together around God's Word. And so we do hope that you feel not just welcome in this time, whether you're a member of Ladywell Baptist Church or not, but that you're encouraged to begin worshipping God now, that that may carry on over the course of the rest of the week, whatever it is this week has in store for you. We're continuing with our series in Genesis this morning. Uh, We've taken a break over the summer weeks, and now we're back again, picking up in Genesis chapter 23 and 24, where we'll be spending some time a little later in our service together. Just a reminder to you, as we've been going through Genesis, and as the the number of chapters that we've been reading each week grows, we're not going to be able to, to spend time in our service reading everything that we're going to cover in uh, the sermon a little later on. And so I want to encourage you, we'll be reading, as I've said, Genesis 23 and 24. And so you may want to take the time now just to pause the video and to read those two chapters so you know where we're going when we come to it uh, a little later on. And as each week goes by, we'll be sending out the church bulletin. And in that, we'll uh, have the, the sections that we'll be reading week by week. And so again, an opportunity for you ahead of our time together uh, just to read those chapters so you know what's going on in the passage of Scripture that we'll be studying each week. A a reminder to you this coming week that there will be our prayer meeting at half past seven, and I really do want to encourage you to to come along to that. Maybe that's not something that you've been to before, uh, and it's not something that you are, are all that sure about Uh, coming along to. But I do want to encourage you to come and to participate in that. You don't need to have uh, an internet connection uh, or a laptop or a tablet to connect into that. You can phone in to that. It's a local rate number, an Edinburgh number. uh, And so I I would like to encourage you to come along to that uh, and to participate in that time, not just of Bible study, but of prayer for our church and for our world. That's every Wednesday at half past seven. And also a reminder to you, if you still have uh, lockdown feedback forms, we would really love to get those back from you. We have had a few come in uh, each week, so please do uh, consider those, those feedback, reflections and questions. Fill out whatever you feel able or whatever you feel is most relevant and get them back to us. Either email them in to myself or Gordon or mail them in, or if you're not uh, able to do either of those, get in touch with us and we'll arrange to have someone come round and collect them from you. A great opportunity for us to learn from this time of lockdown. I know lockdown hasn't finished yet, but we can still learn from the experience we've had so far. And we've had some really great, really interesting feedback, so please do consider that and get in touch with us if at all possible. As we come to worship this morning, we want to consider what it is we're here to do. And so we hear these words from the end of Hebrews chapter 4. There we read in verse 14 and following, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as we come together this morning to worship God, I don't know how you think about your time of worship on Sunday morning as we gather week by week, albeit remotely like this. Sometimes I think we we realize that, well, that's 11 o'clock and we need to get ready and, and sit down and, and listen to the service. And it's hard when we record the service and broadcast it over the internet like this. It's difficult to feel that you're participating. I know, I understand that. But we are here not simply to listen, to spectate. We're here to participate. In fact, the words in Hebrews chapter 4 perfectly and sum up what we're doing as we gather for worship, not just like this uh, on Sunday mornings, but particularly like this. We come before the presence of God himself. Jesus draws us into God's very presence. We come and we come with confidence before the throne of God, the throne of grace. And so we're able to enter into his presence and we are made able to worship by God himself. It sounds strange to think like that, doesn't it? That we uh, come into God's presence and we're expected to worship him and yet we, we need to be made able to do that. We're not actually able to do that by ourselves in our own strength. We need God's empowering and equipping by his Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what God does for us. This is what Jesus does as he gathers us together in this way. And then as he sends us out into the coming week, this is what he does as he sustains us moment by moment, day by day, as a Christian people in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. Whether that be at home with our family, whether that be at work or wherever it is we happen to be. Jesus sustains us and makes us able to worship God, to praise him, to live for his glory by his Holy Spirit, to worship him. This is what worship is, as we've been thinking about over the last uh, week. And so as we come to worship this morning, however you are feeling in this time, I want you to know that Christ gathers you into the presence of God so that you can come boldly before God's presence and ask for what is necessary to equip you to worship him in this time this morning. Let's pray together as we begin a week of worship. Let's pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day, another opportunity to be gathered in your presence by Jesus, to sing your praises, to hear your word, to come before you in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the week that has gone by. We thank you for the opportunities you presented us to live for you and for your glory, to love you and serve you. And we confess, Lord, there have been many times this week where we have not lived the life that we would want. Lord, we confess our sins before you uh, this Sunday, before we enter into this time of worship. Lord, not to beat ourselves over the head with it, but Lord, to come before you and know that as we draw into your presence, we want everything to be laid aside that will act as a barrier to our worship, that will act as a barrier to our living for you over this coming week. 
Lord, we are sorry and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask also, Lord, for your empowering and equipping by your Holy Spirit and by your word. And so in this time, Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit. May we know your very presence in our midst just now. And Lord, as we read your word, we ask that you might speak and speak clearly. That we would be informed and transformed, renewed and made able to live for you in light of all that you have for us in your word this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for one another gathered in this time. And we thank you as well for those of our fellowship who aren't able to gather with us. They're not able to connect uh, over the internet. They don't have any access to these services. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would bless them with a knowledge of your presence. That they would know you are with them. That you never leave them or forsake them. For all that they may feel isolated from you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you go with us in every circumstance. And Lord God, we ask now in this time that you would go with us into this time of worship. And we ask it all in our Saviour's wonderful, powerful and holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing in Genesis chapters 23 and 24 this morning. And we're going to read together from Genesis 24. We'll read from verses 1 and uh, through to 21, and then we'll pick up in 62 through to 67. So in Genesis 24, we read, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge over all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven. And the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, 
Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Now, as we pick up in verse 62, we find that success has indeed come to the servant's journey and he's returned with Rebecca, this girl, to Isaac. And picking up in verse 62, we read, Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord, and we ask God's blessing upon his reading of it this morning. Let's come together in prayer for our church and for our world. Let's pray. Loving God, Steadfast Saviour, we come before you this morning, Lord, with thanksgiving. Whatever our circumstances are, Lord, however easy and joyful, however difficult and painful our days currently are, we know that we walk with a living God who loves us and sent his Son to die to be our Saviour, who will withhold nothing from us for our blessing, our equipping, and our encouragement to walk with you, growing in that relationship we have with you. And so, God, we give you thanks and praise in our time together this morning. Lord, we want to give you thanks as well for the life of Ladywell Baptist Church, for all that goes on each week, even during lockdown, for the way in which we are seeking to meet the needs not just of our fellowship, but also through this community in which you've placed us. And Lord, we pray for the community of Ladywell as much as we pray for the life of Ladywell Baptist Church. We ask that you might pour out your grace and your mercy upon us as a people, upon your church, for our equipping, Lord, that we might worship you and serve this community. For this community, Lord, that in being served by us, they would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and might be transformed. Lord, we recognize that we are no different to those who live around us. We are sinners, Lord, in need of a great and powerful Savior if our lives are be, to be transformed. If we are to be made whole and satisfied, fulfilled in this life. And Lord, that is our longing and the longing of everyone in this community. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to make known the satisfaction of a life lived with Christ. 
Lord, that others might cast themselves upon him as their Savior. Lord God, we pray for Ladywell and for all those who live in this community and ask that we might make your name known in their midst. Heavenly Father, we pray for the wider community of Livingston and West Lothian and we ask that you might be with us as we seek to minister to all those around us. We pray as well for our sister churches in Dedridge and in Broxburn and ask that you might bless them in their ministry this Lord's Day as they gather around your word. But Lord, we pray as well that you would equip them to the work of ministry where they are. Lord, that mercy and grace and love might be poured out across Livingston and Broxburn and the rest of West Lothian. Heavenly Father, we pray, especially for Broxburn in this time of vacancy without a pastor, and we ask that you would bless them and the leadership of this church at this time. Lord, may they know your leading and your guiding. Heavenly Father, may their uh, time in vacancy and their small number not discourage them, but build them up, Lord, that you have a particular place and time and ministry for them. And so, Lord, we ask that you might move powerfully in their midst, for in their weakness, your strength is made more abundantly known. Your grace is sufficient for them. And Lord God, we pray for Dedridge Baptist Church as well, and ask that you might be with Kieran and the leadership there. May you equip them and give them understanding as to how best they are to serve their community at this time. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, the whole community of Dedridge and ask, Lord, that church might be a shining light in that place, might be both light and salt, Lord, that there might be a great ministry in Dedridge and, Father, that a great many people might hear the gospel and be transformed in that place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of local church ministry and ask that you would be with us all and build us up to that end. Heavenly Father, we pray as well for uh, our wider community, the nation of Scotland, and we ask that you would bless us during this time of lockdown. We ask that you would be with Nicola Sturgeon and, Lord, with our government. We pray that you would build them up, Lord, and give them an understanding as to how best to lead our nation through this time. We pray, Lord, that you would give them courage, We know that they face not just political opposition, but a great deal of criticism from many in our nation. And Lord, we know as well that there is not just fair criticism in that. That a great deal of of persecution is leveled against uh, our leaders in government. And some of it is dreadfully unfair and truly appalling in its nature. And so we pray for Nicola Sturgeon that you would give her the strength to weather all of that, to be able to carry on in spite of the most unfair criticism. And Lord, give her the humility to learn from the best of it, that she might grow as a leader and that she might be able to lead this country well, regardless of the political views or affiliations of the members of this nation, the citizens of this nation. Heavenly Father, we pray as well for Jason Leach and his role as the National Clinical Director and ask that you would equip him, that he might guide this government in the best course of action during this pandemic. And Lord, we pray for his counterparts uh, across the rest of the UK and England and in Wales and in Northern Ireland. And Lord, we particularly pray for Boris Johnson and the Westminster government. 
Lord, may you lead and guide them also into the best course of action for our nation and indeed for the rest of the world as we act as an example to other nations in this world. Heavenly Father, we pray as well for the church across the world. And we pray particularly for the persecuted church at this time. It's become clear, Lord, that as nations like ours who give international aid to countries all over this world, and as those countries disperse that aid, that Christian people are being denied access to aid simply because they are Christians. Lord, all over the world, across Africa and Asia, the Far East, and into um, South America, we find that Christian people are being denied aid because they are Christians. And so we ask that at this time, which is so very difficult, we pray for your church, our brothers and sisters, who we do not know at this time, but one day will, we ask that you would strengthen them, that they would stand fast upon the gospel and cling to Jesus as their only saviour, even when it means facing persecution. Lord God, strengthen them and build them up at this time. Heavenly Father, we ask all this, knowing that you alone are able to see it done. And so we ask with confidence, coming boldly before your throne of grace, knowing that Jesus draws us into your presence and Jesus bids us come and ask in his name, knowing that in his name you will hear and respond. And so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue to go through these most uncertain of times, you have perhaps seen over the last couple of weeks in the news groups of people doing what we might consider to be foolish things. We found as soon as lockdown began to ease, people immediately jetted off on holidays uh, all over Europe and now are scrabbling to come back before quarantine rules are uh, put in place for various uh, parts of Europe and people would be stuck for two weeks in quarantine after they returned from their holidays unless they get home before a certain deadline. We found people gathering, in some cases in huge numbers, for parties in houses or in restaurants. In some cases, the police have had to break up hundreds of people meeting in, in parties with marquees, with DJs and caterers employed uh, for the, the, the hospitality. And we look at that and wonder what on earth these people are doing. And what they're doing actually is not all that strange at all. We're going through tremendously unsettled times, remarkably difficult days, and what people want is comfort. People want to be surrounded by other human beings. We've been locked in our houses largely on our own or in small family groups for months. And we want to know that we're not alone. We want a sense of the normal life. And so we want to go on holiday. We want a bit of sun. We want to go to a party and experience the presence of other people and, and just enjoy socializing in that way. And so we can understand entirely without being overly judgmental about people doing perhaps slightly foolish things in these times, particularly as we see little outbreaks of, uh, of coronavirus as a result of events and parties and, and behavior such as this. It's something that we all do. We seek comfort in difficult times. I don't know what experience you're going through at this particular time. Maybe you're feeling fine. Maybe everything is going okay for you at this particular point. Maybe you're going through tremendously difficult circumstances. I know a great many of people are. 
But when we go through difficult times, what is your first port of call for comfort? Where do you go? Is it other people? Maybe you retreat into yourself and lock yourself away and content yourself with your own company. Maybe it's um, going out and, and going to a restaurant and eating good food or going and having a drink or maybe it's, it's something else. Whatever it might be, I want to encourage you this morning that Scripture teaches us that God always goes with us. In fact, more than that, that God is um, at work constantly, not just in our lives, but in all things. He is never um, inactive in our world, in our lives. And the word for this is providence. That God is constantly at work in all things, working out all things according to the counsel of his own most holy, perfect and wise will. As he draws all things in the entire universe to a conclusion. Where one day we will stand before God and give an answer for all that we have done and and either be gathered into his presence for eternity or be cast out of his presence for eternity. And that work that is leading towards that one glorious day is called the providence of God. And this, Scripture teaches us, is to be a a foundation stone to our comfort, whatever we are facing in life. And so whatever you're going through at the moment, I want you to consider Genesis 23 and 24 and the providence of God and the comfort that it can and will be to you as we explore it this morning. What does it mean for us to spend our days living and working in the knowledge that God is at work in all things? As we come to this uh, passage in Genesis 23 and 24, we come to a really interesting point in Genesis. Because Abraham, as we've read in chapter 24, is now old. If we were to go back a chapter and read chapter 23, we would read that Sarah, his beloved wife of a great many years, has died. She's lived a good, long life, but at last she has died, and Abraham has um, sought to provide a burial place for her. But we come to this point in Abraham's life where he is incredibly wealthy, he is incredibly powerful, and yet he owns no land. He has no place to call his own. And so we find the providence of God being worked out in Abraham's life at this point of grief, at this point of old age, in a way that brings an enormous sense of comfort to him and to us. And firstly, we should recognize that as we seek to trust in the Lord in all that we do, because God is at work in the world around us and in our lives, we recognize in this passage that God makes promises and he always keeps them. This is the work of his providence in the world, that he has made promises in the past, And he will keep them in the future and is working towards that end all the way through our lives from start to finish. Indeed, to the very end of time until Christ returns. And so as we come to Genesis 23 and 24, we recognize that God makes promises and keeps them. It might seem simplistic to say this. 
But we recognize it most powerfully in Abraham's life, don't we? He has called Abraham out of his home city in Ur of the Chaldeans and has made promises to Abraham. He's made promises that Abraham will have a family, that he will give rise to not just a family, but a vast family, a family beyond number, beyond counting, as, as many as the stars in the heavens and as many as the, uh, the grains of sand on the seashore, a huge number. And yet Abraham has remained childless up until his old age. And even now he's had a, a son, well, two sons in um, Ishmael and in Isaac. But Isaac has now reached his 40s and has had no children, isn't married. And so we can understand if Abraham is beginning to wonder if the promises of God will actually be worked out in his life. He's been promised a home, a land to call his own, and yet we found all his wondering has brought him vast wealth, yet he has nothing. He has no place to call his own. He has the memory of a home in Ur, and yet that place is, is distant to him now. And we have the promise that God will always be his God. We'll always go with him. And yet there is cause for Abraham to question even this. Because if the other promises of God aren't being worked out in his life, then how can he have any confidence that this last one, this most significant one, will be worked out as well? Abraham, we could understand, struggles at this point, as he comes to his old age. He wants to know, as he nears his own death, that everything's going to work out. And so he begins to try to put things in place to make sure his son is sorted, that Isaac is cared for, that his family will continue. We found Sarah's death has probably prompted this in his mind, uh, and we can understand that as we grow older and as Uh, We get married and have children. We want to make sure that our children are going to be okay. And so we start to put in things place for their provision, don't we? This is a natural thing for us to do. Christopher Hitchens, the great um, atheist and opponent of the church, uh, once remarked that he had a tremendous sense of his own end, his own mortality, when his uh, first child was born. He said in that moment he recognized the place that his own father had had when he was born, and now he realized that he was standing in that place and that time moves on and that one day an end will come. And when his first child was born, he had a tremendous sense of the impending nature of his own death. And he was absolutely right. It is a sense that we all get as we grow and mature that there is an end coming. And so we want to put our affairs in order. We want to plan for the future to make sure everything will be okay for us and for our family. And this is exactly what happens. Sarah dies and Abraham begins to plan for the future. And so he goes amongst the people that he is well known by who seem to hold him in high esteem and regard and he asks them if they will sell him a plot of land to bury his wife. And there is a a funny back and forth where they say just take whatever land you want. He's held in such high regard they'll just give him his choice of land to bury Sarah but Abraham's insistent. I'm going to pay for this land. And in chapter 23, we have this ongoing back and forth between Abraham and the Hittite people amongst whom he lives, the Canaanite people, where he um, 
constantly seeks to make sure they understand he will purchase this land. This land will belong to him and there will be no question about the nature of who owns it. It will be his because he will have paid for it out of the money, essentially, that God has provided for him. And so he buys a plot of land and buries Sarah, his beloved wife. We find now that Abraham comes in chapter 24 to wanting to uh, put Isaac's affairs in order, and so he um, gets his servant, the, the, the most experienced um, servant in his household, the one he's known the longest, and he performs this custom where he gets the servant to place his hand under Abraham's thigh. He binds him to this oath, this promise that, that cannot be broken um, in part because the, the servant belongs to Abraham. He must at all costs carry out this, um, this oath and sends him back to Ur, to his, his ancestral homeland, to get a, a, a wife for his son Isaac. And he's insistent that this must be done, that a wife from the Canaanites shouldn't be brought because God had called him to, to come and to take possession of this land, but that he would be a people distinct in that land, that he wouldn't be part of the, the Canaanite community. And so he sends his servant back to his homeland to choose someone from that place, from his own family, as it were. And the servant's concerned, as we read in the passage, what happens if I go and she won't come because they're not going to remember you in, in that far distant land. And so Abraham says, you'll be free from my oath if she doesn't come, but under no circumstances is Isaac to go because his concern is that Isaac will go and not return. Abraham is still living with an eye on the promises of God being worked out. He now owns a bit of land. Now it's tiny. God has promised him the whole land of Canaan and yet all he owns is a plot big enough for a field with a, with a tomb in it. And yet that promise of God has been fulfilled in part in Abraham's life. And now he wants to make sure that Isaac doesn't disappear back off to, to, um, to Ur and to the civilization that Abraham has left behind with all of its allure, with all of its draw, and never return. Abraham still wants his son to have a wife, but he wants his son to take possession of the promises of God made to Abraham, and so Isaac is not to go. And so the servant goes, and as he goes, he prays that God will guide him to the wife that Isaac is to have. Now, an important point here to, to note is that the servant isn't um, testing God in, in a sense. We're told in Scripture that we ought not to test God, to, to make God prove himself to us, that, um, that this is really you know, God's leading in my life, that, that somehow we can demand that God prove himself to us. That's not the way our relationship works with God. We are to constantly live for him. He isn't supposed to live for us in that sense. We prove ourselves to him, the, our faithfulness and our love for him and so on through the things that we do. And the servant isn't really doing this. What we find the servant doing is simply asking God guides him to the, the, the woman of his choosing. If all the promises of God are to be worked out through Isaac and this woman, I want it to be the right woman. And so, he says, because of your steadfast love to my master Abraham, guide me to the right woman. The right woman, the one who comes and gives me something to drink and, and waters also uh, my camels. 
And you get a sense in which the servant is also wanting to make sure that the quality of the character of this future wife for Isaac is of the right sort. He wants a woman who knows how to be generous, how to care for someone else, how to to love and serve. Not an arrogant and prideful woman who would never stoop to serving uh, somebody else, especially a stranger who she ought to show hospitality to. And so we find God leads the servant to Rebecca. This woman, and and as Rebecca serves, the, the servant provides water not just for him, but also for his camels. He watches her. He, he, holds her in his vision to to see if she is the right sort of woman and recognizes that God has indeed led her to uh, the right person. And so the servant um, reveals who he is and what he has come to do. And Rebecca marvels at this. In fact, the servant gives her expensive jewelry and then asks if he uh, should be shown her, her family so that he can speak to her father and um, can, can negotiate for uh, this, this girl if she is willing to be taken all the way back to a faraway land hundreds and hundreds of miles out of the way. And as he comes, we find that this is a distant relation to Abraham's family and the, um, the girl is happy to go with the servant to meet Isaac. God has made promises to Abraham and in Abraham's life he is coming right to the very end of his days and all seems to be lost. None of the promises are being fulfilled and yet we find for all it seems impossible, for all that the promises of God, all those great promises of nationhood and family and influence, a blessing to the whole world, For all that they seem impossible now, because Abraham's old, his family are too old, Isaac is 40 years old, we still see them being worked out because God is always faithful to the promises that he makes. He always keeps them. He may not keep them in the time of our choosing or in the manner of our choosing, but he does always keep them. And so we find the promises of God made to Abraham find their ultimate fulfillment not in a field with a tomb in it, but from the Hittites. Not in Rebecca, as beautiful as she is, but we find ultimately they are fulfilled in Christ. Abraham would never see the promises of God fully worked out. In fact, none of his children or their children or their children would. In fact, many generations pass until the birth of Jesus. And under Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes and their amen, their fulfillment, their conclusion. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that Jesus ultimately takes the place of Israel in the fulfillment of all those promises. They are all fulfilled in him and then through him they then are um, spread out as it were into the world so that all who come under Christ, who submit themselves to him, find forgiveness in Jesus, all of those people are the recipients of God's promises. And it doesn't matter if they are Jew or Gentile, slave or free or male or female, Everyone can receive the promises of God given to Abraham through Jesus. 
We find the promise of salvation given to Abraham, that he would be a a person and a people set apart for God, and God would be his God and would lead him all the days of his life, as fulfilled in Jesus that we find in John chapter 3 or or John chapter 6. That Jesus comes to be a saviour to the world by laying down his life. And all those that are drawn to Jesus will be raised up on that last day. Will never be forsaken, never cast aside by God. God's promise is fulfilled. God's promise for a blessed family are fulfilled to Abraham. Not just in having many, many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But we find in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us that we are blessed with a family beyond number, and so we ought to have a brotherly and sisterly affection for all those in Christ Jesus, regardless of where we come from, our background, the language we speak, whatever it might be, we are all gathered together and in one family. He says in Ephesians um, as well that the dividing wall is broken down so that all those who are near, that is Jewish believers in Jesus, and all those who are far off, the Gentile world, all of us are united and drawn together in one family. So God's promise is fulfilled for you to have a blessed family all over the world. And in Livingston, in Ladywell here, through Jesus. We find that we are to be blessed in all the work that we do. God says that he will bless Abraham in everything that he does and his family by extension. And so we find in Ephesians chapter 2 that promise has worked out for us that um, God has promised not just to save all those who cast themselves upon Christ, but he will save them for work that he has prepared for them beforehand. And so if you're a Christian today, God has prepared work before you were ever born for you to fulfill, for you to go and actually work out in your life according to the grace and mercy of God as he um, equips you and empowers you to that task. That promise is fulfilled in Christ. We find that a promise to grow in holiness is fulfilled, that we will worship God, that we will be His people, not just in name, but that we will fully enter into that life and love Him and serve Him as He in turn blesses us in the ways that we've just been thinking. And in Ephesians chapter 4 we hear that, that we will be mature and lacking in nothing in this life, not tossed around um, you know, on every sort of fad and on every whim that we might have or, or hear explained to us, that we won't be like infants who don't know where to go or what to do. We will be mature and built up and equipped by God. We will grow in holiness. That promise is fulfilled in Christ for you and for me. And we are promised a future home in Christ. Abraham buys this tiny little plot of land. That's his home. That's all he owns when his death comes. And yet we find that Christ, as we read in um, John chapter 14 or Revelation chapter 21 or, or 22, has a home for us that is vast beyond our ability to understand. The whole heavens and earth are remade and we are given a home. And the whole purpose of a home given to Abraham and his people is a place where they can be safe where they can express their love for God, their desire to glorify God, and they can live out their days in peace and and in harmony with one another, free from fear. 
And yet we know for all that they do ultimately possess a land of their own, that it is never truly their home. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was journeying all the days of his life, always wandering through the land, never truly finding a home because he wasn't looking for a home built with hands, a bricks and mortar home. He was looking to a home made by a heavenly God, a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And this is what Jesus accomplishes for us and tells us of in John 14, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, this heavenly city that is prepared for us. And he is preparing a place for us to go as his people where we will be free from all harm. There will be no evil, no sin, no suffering, no sickness, disease or death. A place where we can truly be at home. It's a place, place that every one of us longs for. That's why we constantly seek comfort. It's why we constantly um, furnish our homes and, and surround ourselves with stuff. We're looking for comfort. A place where we feel safe. But it's never enough. Because it's not the home that Christ has prepared for us that one day we will possess in him. Jesus has promised, has fulfilled these promises to each one of us. Those promises God made to Abraham so long ago. And as we face the uncertain days in which we live, what greater source of comfort do we need? All of these promises of God delivered to Abraham those thousands of years ago have been fulfilled in Christ and you can be the recipient of all of them regardless of what you experience in this life. These promises are already fulfilled. They have their yes and their amen, their fulfillment in Christ. It is finished. It is accomplished. And as you take possession of them, as you cast yourself upon Christ, they cannot be taken away because they belong to Him alone to give to you and He gives you them by grace. The future of your life, the future of the church is not all in our hands. God involves us in those things, but it doesn't all rest on us. It rests upon Christ, and Christ already has won the victory over sin and death. And so we need not despair. We need not be frustrated in this life, but come back again and again to the promises of God that are already fulfilled for us. We find also that in the providence of God, the working out of His will in this world that has accomplished all of this for us and is seeking to draw us towards the conclusion of these promises, that God calls us to faithfulness because He Himself is faithful. These promises given to Abraham seemed impossible to to ultimately be fulfilled And yet we find that they are all accomplished in part in Abraham's days. He has that tiny little plot of land. And as the servant returns from uh, the the land of of, um, Abraham's ancestors, we find that he brings Rebekah who comes and we have this touching scene as they approach. Isaac is out in the fields meditating in the evening, in the cooler part of the day. And as they approach, he sees far off the camels coming over the horizon. And Rebekah sees Isaac in the field and, and asks, who is that? And the servant says, that's Isaac. That's the one that I've brought you for. And you get the sense that they see one another across this distance. They gaze upon one another. And as they come together, we find that Isaac takes this woman and makes her his wife and he loves her. 
and finds comfort after the loss uh, of his mother. He loves her. He's never met this woman before, but as she comes towards him, he knows that the promises of God are being worked out in his life. And he loves her. And so we find God brings him comfort. I suspect not just in the sense that he has companionship with her because of the loss of his mother. But he knows the promises of God are actually being worked out in his life. He has that sense, that tremendous sense of being grounded in God as a result of seeing this worked out and wondering at the age of 40, was there ever going to be the wife that God has promised, the family that God has promised? And so we see they are able to trust in God. They are able to live out a life of faithfulness because of the faithfulness of God expressed towards each one of them. As we are today, Christ has actually died for you. He has actually worked out the promises of God on your behalf that you can receive all the fullness of, all the blessings of those promises. That has already been accomplished for you. That is how faithful God has been to you when you were still a sinner. You wanted nothing to do with God. He's done it all already. And because of that faithfulness towards you, you are able to live in faithfulness with God, even through remarkably difficult times. Which is why it's so important that the ground of our comfort comes from the providence of God. God working His will out in in thousands of small, seemingly insignificant ways. God prepared Rebecca for Isaac. He prepared Isaac for Rebecca. It seemed like it would never come. That day would never come. And yet it did. And when it did, it was so obvious that God had been at work the whole time. And so when Christ came and lived his perfect life, and died his perfect death, it had taken so long for that day to come, in order that you and I might be saved. And yet when it did come, it was so obvious that God had been at work the whole time. And so as we look back on those thousands of years of the faithfulness of God, we can look forward in our own day and recognize the same thing is true now that was true then. That God is at work drawing all of these promises already fulfilled in part to their ultimate conclusion when Christ returns. And sin and death are done away with. And this life is made new and perfected and we are drawn into God's presence forever. Because of God's faithfulness, we are comforted now that nothing will stop God accomplishing that end when it comes. And that everything we do and everything in our lives at the moment, however hard it may be, is working towards that conclusion. And I know that God will never leave us or forsake us while he accomplishes that end. Why would he? This is what he has been doing all along from the very beginning. And so I want you to know the comfort that comes from the providence of God being worked out in your life. Especially as you ask that question, Why me? Why is this happening to me? This is the 15th thing this week, this month, this year that has gone wrong. Why is this happening to me? Or we ask God, how can you let this happen in light of everything else that's gone on that's gone wrong? As you ask those questions, as you struggle, maybe even as you doubt, 
I want you to know the comfort of God that comes from his providence being worked out. He is bending all things in creation towards his ultimate conclusion, his glorious end where everything is perfected. And that day is coming. And today is one day closer to that day coming than yesterday. And you are one day more mature today than you were yesterday. And tomorrow another day will come and you will be led a little further along that path as you live in and by the grace of God. So find comfort in his presence, knowing he is accomplishing his ends. This is where our comfort comes as a church, as we look at the whole of Ladywell and think, how on earth can we see this community transformed by the gospel? It's too much, it's too big, and we've labored for years and we've seen so little fruit. This is where our confidence comes. Because it's not all on us, it's all on God, and he is working out his plans. And he's doing it through us, but he is doing it. And so we can go with confidence, knowing that as we share the gospel passionately and with love towards our fellow citizens in Livingston and and, and Ladywell in particular, that God will use that, however insignificant your efforts might feel to you. However weak and flawed they are, I know how often I've spoken to people and I've come away and I thought, I should have said this and I should have said that. But God understands and uses all things to accomplish the purposes of his will. Now that doesn't excuse us to do a a sloppy or a poor job knowing, ah, God will figure it out. But it gives us comfort in knowing that whatever we are doing for the glory of God will ultimately be used by him to that end. And as we look to our nation and wonder how it can be sliding so far and so fast from God and how it can be turned around, we know that as we labor hard, to to share God's word, God's desire, God's will for this society in which we live, that God has not forsaken this, this land, this people. That God will ultimately see his will accomplished. And he will use his people to that end. Our confidence comes from the providence of God. But it also empowers us spurs us on knowing that while God is at work, we are to be busy accomplishing that end. Abraham still has to send the servant to go and find the wife for Isaac. When Rebecca is greeted by the servant, she still has to follow the servant back to to Isaac, to, to Abraham's family. She still has to marry Isaac. They still have to have children together. But the The providence of God, the seeing the way that God works in the world and in the lives of his people gives them courage and spurs them on to action. It never leads us to passivity, to laziness, to to the thought that, well, whatever happens is the will of God, so it must all be fine. There's nothing of that in this passage. It leads to greater faithfulness on the part of God's people. And so it is with us that it spurs us on to ever greater efforts, knowing that God will and does use us for his glory and for his own glorious ends in our families, in our community, in our nation and in our world. So I want you to be comforted this week by, by I'm sure, a great many things, but comforted first and foremost by the knowledge that God is at work in your life,
in the life of your church and in the world at the moment because he has made promises and he will fulfill them. Because he is faithful and he wants you to be faithful too. So go this week into the unknown seven days that lie ahead of us knowing that the providence of God is being worked out and it all ends for his own eternal glory. Amen. And now as you prepare to go out into the rest of this new week, may you go in the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may God himself, according to the riches of his glory, grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.